BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Well, she's got a lot of things on her mind to talk about now. She's taking care of her voice, so you know that she's not going to shout now. No fun, the Jen Kirkman podcast episode 409. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Jen Kirkman. I'm a comedian. I'm an author. I'm a TV writer. And I'm a podcaster. I've been doing this podcast since 2013. It used to be called I Seem Fun, the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast. The name has changed, but the podcast has not. This is just where I go to talk to you every week about what's going on in my life in my head, sometimes in the world. And, you know, I'm just a real person. I Sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's serious. So there you go. Enjoy just a conversation between you and me where you don't have to say anything. What are we going to talk about this week? Well, I'll tell you one thing. For 23 minutes, I've already done part of this episode that's for the Patreon subscribers only. I, I encourage you to join. I am in the middle of a move. <laughs> My Patreon membership is down from this summer. Let's join the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. Link is in the show notes. Please don't let me go broke before Christmas or after <laughs> or anytime. Thank you. Um, so what am I going to talk about this week? Oh, fine. I'll give my hot take on the Dave Chappelle special. And uh, what else will I talk about? I, You know, I do this whole thing where I prep. I write all these notes to prep with. And I put them in a special little folder in my notes section. And then I'm like, wait, where'd it go? Oh, here it is. Here it is. I'm going to talk about a sexist incident in a box store that I wrote about on Twitter, which caused a firestorm among, you guessed it, men on Twitter. I want to talk about a machine that can suck the CO2 out of the air. And I want to talk about abolitionist John Brown. It was uh, the anniversary of the Harper's Ferry raid last week. And I've been, I've been having thoughts. I've been wanting to talk about John Brown and all I've learned about him in the past year as I went into a mild obsession So um, that's it. Let's begin the podcast. Now, I, just reminding you guys, you know all about my other podcast, Anxiety Bites. That, that comes out every week. It's an interview podcast where I interview experts in all kinds of 
fields of anxiety, whether they're a neuroscientist or whatever. And trust me, I want to have all kinds of things. I want to have people on that, you know, recommend psilocybin for anxiety and all that. It's just a matter of the guest has to be the expert on the topic I want to talk about. A lot of times people aren't available. A lot of, I've been trying to get more men on the podcast. A lot of the men are saying no to being guests. And I got pretty big shot people on this show. So it's not like they're better than the other people that have been on. But uh, I know it's weird. So it's just how it goes. Um, you know, I'm glad people are writing me topics they want to hear about. But um, it's kind of kind of not per request, if that makes sense. Anyway, Anxiety Bites, go to uh, the link in the show notes or jenkirkman.com and click on Anxiety Bites podcast. I hope you subscribe. I hope you listen. I know some of you may think, oh, you know everything there is to know already about anxiety, but trust me, I thought so too. And I hear something different every time I interview someone. And also, sometimes you just need to hear the same thing over and over, but from a different voice or a different perspective, or you did know something 10 years ago, and then your life has changed and you have a new maturity and you go, oh, that's the thing that I'd always heard about that I just said, oh yeah, blah, blah, blah. But oh, now I've really experienced blah, blah, blah. It's a great listen. And also by subscribing and downloading, maybe you will hear something that someone else you know needs. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty into it. I I do want to make a pivot in my life to talking about anxiety in a fun way. You know, I'd love to do a TED Talk. We're all working on this behind the scenes and, you know, maybe eventually start speaking at places about it, you know, not touring with comedy anymore, but but that kind of stuff. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, I really am not just doing this podcast, the Anxiety Bites one for, oh, that's fun and let's just do a podcast. It's It's a very deliberate, this is what I want to do with my life. Um, and you know, you got to start somewhere. So that's where we're starting. So I hope you do support everyone out there who says, I'm your biggest fan. And I go, oh, good. If you are, will you listen to my new thing? No. When are you coming to Dallas? Nope. Nuts. Not. No, not touring. Uh, so please go to iTunes and rate it five stars and give it a good review and do that for this podcast as well. And I know all of you tell me, I don't use iTunes, you old boomer. I get it. But that's the only place that does the charts. So it's the only place that matters. You can review it elsewhere, but I was just telling you the one that matters again if you wanted to. Do me a solid. Okay. Well, let's just start with some fun people watching. I want you all to diagnose this woman. Send me an email. I seem fun at gmail.com. Or if you're a Patreon subscriber, you can just leave it in the comments of this episode, obviously. See, that's the bonus of subscribing to Patreon. You get your own little like message board community that doesn't have, you don't have to deal with Twitter. And it's totally private. So you could like talk shit about people in your life in the comments. And unless they're Patreon subscribers, they can't see it. Anyway, so I forgot to tell the story. It's, it's not like America's best story. It's like America's second best story. But as you know, when I was in New York a couple of weeks ago, trying to lock down, get in an apartment, uh, did a lot of dining alone. And I was sitting outside one night and I was watching this table of ladies that were, you know, diagonal from me. I, I truly, they could be 40, they could be 58. I don't know their age, but around that, around that age group. I have no idea if they're tourists. I have no idea if they're New Yorkers. I can't tell their economic bracket. Like, I really, they're just four women. And it's one woman's birthday. Obviously, I don't know any of their names, but birthday girl is sitting there. And she, uh, they're about to order. And the waitress comes over and they say, uh, it's her birthday. And the waitress is like, oh, my God. And then for some reason, it wasn't like they brought out a cake or anything. She just started going, happy birthday to you. And it was just, you know, no one was in the restaurant. It was very early and it was outdoors. So the, the waitress was singing it. And the women were singing to the woman. And they just all kind of giggled. Um, 
Oh, I know what it was. She was bringing them their drinks that they had ordered. And someone said, give her hers first. She's the birthday girl. And then they started singing. So they just left. Now, as they're singing, so she hands the birthday girl the drink. Oh my God, happy birthday. Puts the other drinks down, puts the tray under her arm and just starts going, happy birthday. It was just like this impromptu singing. As she's at the last sentence of the birthday song, this other woman, non-birthday woman, gets up from the table and just starts walking like she's just run a marathon and has a leg cramp. And she's like, ah, 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 ah. I mean, again, this isn't an old person thing. She's, she is probably my age. And she's like on the sidewalk going, ah, just leg cramp. Now, again, you're going to all write me. I have actually a leg problem. This not, please trust me. This did not look like a legit, oh my God, as we get older, you know, we can get blood clots. We need to get up and stretch. Oh, maybe she has a sciatica. It was completely related to the fact that someone was singing to her friend. I'm convinced of it. I could feel it when she stood up. Because unless you're, unless you've been shot in the leg by a bow and arrow, you don't need to jump up like that to do something about your leg cramp. So she jumps up, goes in onto the sidewalk and is just, I don't know what she's doing, just kind of bending her leg. It's, it's more like her leg was asleep kind of vibe than there's some kind of medical emergency or, oh, it's that torn ligament again, you know. And so her friends kind of stop singing abruptly and then they all look to her are you okay? She's like, oh, it's just that leg cramp. I just, I just, I don't know. I, I just have a leg cramp. But you can tell they're like, oh, this one again. It wasn't like, oh my God, she doesn't have enough potassium. This is a blood clot. It was like, it she was literally like, I just have a leg cramp. But it wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, don't look at me or don't mind me. You, you could wait for the last line of the song. And then you could sort of quietly stand up and you could stand at the table there's no need that she had to go onto the sidewalk and you could stand at the table and you could do your leg cramp. Then it was fine. And then she went back and sat down. So that they eat, they're talking, the appetizers get cleared and she's like, the food will be right out. And this other friend goes, I can't wait. I want you to open my present. And so she, this other friend gives a present to birthday woman and as birthday woman is opening the present, leg cramp woman stands up and goes, I lost my ring. I mean, the timing is literally a psychiatrist's dream. It's like, you couldn't make it any easier, but I don't know what the diagnosis is. Narcissist, I, I don't know. Everyone's like, what, what? She's like, I lost my ring. I think when I stood up a half hour ago to do my leg cramp, I lost my ring. I lost my ring. Now, there's been a half hour since the leg cramp incident, and she's just now noticing she lost her ring when her friend is opening a gift. So now everyone stops opening the gift. The waitress comes out with the food. She has to put it down as they're maneuvering, looking for the ring. Now the waitress is involved. She's got her iPhone out. She turns on the flashlight part. Now, I don't know how to quickly turn on the flashlight part of my iPhone. Don't even try to tell me. It's just, I'm old. I'm not, I don't care. The flashlight comes on by itself. Young people are like, your flashlight's on. I'm like, totally, I love it on. Why is that not? Oh, it, you know, I just pretend I meant to do that. I know it's a quick little move. It's just, it escapes me every time. So I look around. I, I, I start looking because if someone loses something, I don't know what it is. I have this bizarre response. Not that it's my responsibility to find it. God, no, but that it would be fun to find it. I get this is fun fun for me. I don't even want the praise if I find it. I just want, I want to find it. So I start looking and birthday girl's like, you're so nice. And I said, eh, yeah, maybe I just, you know, what else am I doing sitting here alone? And uh, I said, but I don't know how to turn. So I'm just holding my phone to the sidewalk ground, <laughs> you know, hoping any light shines on it, but not using my flashlight. So, you know, five minutes goes. She's like, oh, forget it. Let's start eating. Food's getting cold. So now the present, you know, it never got opened. So now they're eating. And she's like, I'll look for it later. They're like, all right, are you sure? Yeah. So now the friend's like, 
okay, but I really want you to open mine. Now, they all had gifts for her. It wasn't a case of leg cramp, ring missing woman, didn't have a gift. They all had gifts. So hands the birthday girl the gift again. As the birthday woman is trying to look in the bag and see what the gift is, suddenly leg cramp, my ring is missing woman, jumps up and goes, it was in my boot. It was in my boot. It was in my boot. Now she's like taking her boot off and like sticking her hand. I mean, just every time the attention was on her friend, but it was in specific to the birthday. It was like this woman has a specific Pavlovian reaction to someone having a birthday where she has to get all the attention or stop. I don't know what. Very odd. And But again, there were moments where she was listening. Like, you know, she wasn't abnormal in any other way. The conversation wasn't dominated by her. It was the weird, I was fascinated. And I was hoping, I mean, I wouldn't have done this, but in my fantasy, she goes to the bathroom and I say to her friends, do you notice that when they sang to you, And when you tried to open a gift, she suddenly had a leg cramp and had to get up and down and change the whole dynamic of the table. And then she lost her ring. Then she found her ring. Is she that person? You know, is she, is there always something with her? Because I can see it over here. So if you guys ever want to tell her, but you think, wow, she's going to think we're picking on her. You can say, and this woman in a restaurant called you out for who you were. Everyone notices Everyone notices you, Cindy. But I didn't. And I don't think I would have done that. Mm. I was going to say maybe if I was drunk, but no, no, I don't think so. They could have been like, um, that's our friend. She has leg cramp, leg crampia. It's the latest cancer and it makes you burst out at weird times. So if you could not be so offensive, aren't you Jen Kirkman, the comedian? I'm telling Twitter that you're ableist, you know, and then I'd get in trouble. It's always best to just keep it to yourself when you notice things at restaurants that uh, are wrong with other people. Just keep it to yourself. But speaking of a comedian who could get canceled, well, no, Dave Chappelle's not getting canceled, nor do I think he should be. And, and uh, I don't believe in cancel culture anyway. I don't, I mean, I believe there's a, I don't even want to get into it. It's the dumbest conversation, but Dave Chappelle's new special, atrocious. He hasn't been funny though. Like, I don't even want to have to watch these things, but I figured if I commented on it, you know, I'd have to see some of it. So here's the thing. I'm right. You're wrong. <laughs> No, I might not be right about all of my takes, but in terms of everyone's so sensitive, these are just jokes. No, you're wrong and you're looking at it wrong. I'm not offended. I'm telling you, he is being, what he is doing is getting paid too much money to do a thing that no other comedian would have the quote privilege to do because they would be They don't have a rabid fan base. What he's doing is Trumpy, MAGA, Bernie bro-ish to me. He is riling up a base of young men. It is grievance culture, not cancel culture. Okay, so a few things. I'll be out of my depth in some areas when we talk about race, but let me just say this. I don't think it is easy to stay funny as you become a middle-aged man in society. Women different. Women are always, and I am talking about just the gender binary right now of men and women. As women get into menopause, like no one wants to hear the jokes about their body. They're not as hot anymore. People don't want to blah, blah, blah. Then men become older in comedy and they become this sort of like elder statesman, right? You see it with like a Jon Stewart. You see it going on with Chappelle. Now, other men don't do that. Not all men, obviously. But it is, it is one of the tropes a man can fall into. I'd love to fall into it. I'm trying to be elder stateswoman of comedy. You don't have to write as many punchlines. <laughs> That's why I love this podcast. Oh, it's not a comedy podcast. Whew, pressure off. I actually love 
how Bill Burr is maturing as a comedian. Now, I'm not even someone who watches comedy, but every once in a while, I will see these people in in town at a show. I mean, I haven't in years, but or I'll just catch something that's going around on YouTube. And I did actually see some more recent Bill Burr stuff on Conan. And yeah, he's got topics he talks about that you might find offensive or why is he talking about fat people or isn't he sexist sometimes? You know, but see, I've been used to all that kind of stuff in comedy my whole life. I'm not going to like everything everyone says. And I'm not going to say you can't be sexist sometimes or have views that seem a little sexist or that maybe you don't even think are sexist, but your audience is stupid and they will then go behave in a sexist way and be like, what? Bill says, okay. You know, but Bill's always been that kind of comic for me where I just laugh at, he just makes me laugh. You know, I I like that kind of curmudgeonly thing. And I think his approach has never changed. And his approach is Ah, what the fuck do I know? But not in a Joe Rogan way where it's like, I'm going to have Alex Jones on to talk about the pandemic. Oh, we're just asking questions. And then he has, you know, uh, Dr. Gupta on and is trying to railroad him by saying the vaccine is dangerous and then trying to innocently say, what, what? I don't have an opinion either way. It's like you clearly do. You're pushing an anti-vax agenda. But with Bill, it's like, He's just like, ah, I'm just talking shit. And he is like, and you know it, that it's just, it it works for me in terms of comedy that, again, I've never been offended by anything in comedy. I've been like, and again, I don't, I'm just saying that that word doesn't vibe with me. I've been personally offended a lot by people to my face offending me um, because they're treating me differently because I'm a woman. I've maybe felt offended on behalf of other people if I'm around other people that are being marginalized. But but in terms of watching a joke and thinking, gee, that's sexist or transphobic or racist, I don't feel the feeling of offense. I just go, well, that's not for me. And why are they fucking bothering that anyway? That's what a dumb, terrible thing to put out in the world, you know? So I always get the sense that the last thing someone like a Bill Burr wants is a cult following. He just wants people to come so he can make money. I'm the same way. So the reason I'm bringing him up is because I know what it's like to watch a comic who says stuff that every once in a while I want to write a letter to the editor and go, well, that's not really true. That's not how, no, that's just your experience, you know, but are they making me laugh? It's like shit. Sometimes they are. Dave Chappelle's not making me laugh anymore. I haven't laughed in years. And again, not because I'm offended at the jokes. I don't see the jokes. I could have laughed at his Johnson and Johnson routine. I mean, it was funny, the way, you know, what he was saying, and I won't repeat it because I'm not black, so it's not for me to, to, to use his same language, but it was a funny joke and it was like classic Chappelle. But the thing that made it not funny was, you know, you're sitting here joking about the vaccine and then he goes into jokes about how he got COVID and it's like, you're so deluded, dude, that that like, I can't laugh at that joke because I know what he was behaving like during COVID. So it's not funny to me. You know, the joke is technically funny, but then he starts talking about how he got COVID and he got it because he had to prepare this special for you guys. Well, fuck you. You could have done Zoom shows, you know, like everyone else in the fucking world or just maybe you didn't have to do the special. I know you were contracted with Netflix for six specials. I'm sure they would have given you a little leeway. But also, if this is what a prepared show looks like, uh, you got COVID in vain, buddy, because I, the, it's like not even worked out stuff. And it wouldn't have gotten funnier if he worked it out. It's that he, ins- he will not move beyond his premise, which is inherently incorrect, which I will get to. But he's sitting there saying, oh, I was all over Austin shaking hands doing this. I probably spread COVID. It's like, no, you actually probably did. And I'm glad for you that you didn't have one symptom. But damn, dude, you know, I can't believe he's bragging about that. And no one fucking cares. Like, it's just not doesn't make a dent in society, you know, and his and his friends, Elon Musk and Joe Rogan. It's just what? the fuck? Now, I was such a Dave Chappelle fan. I know I've talked about this on the podcast before. I I used to say he was my favorite comic. I admired him so much. 
And I would recommend to anybody to watch his Dave Chappelle's block party. I think it's the most beautiful use of someone's time and money that I, I just was so impressed with him when he went to Africa and just said, I heard people laughing in a way that didn't sound like it sounded like I was giving people permission to to explore their racism. So this is why it doesn't. And I, I admired him so much for that. And I loved a lot of the public appearances he made after that. But because that was so heady and smart and brave and interesting, I think it masked a thing that is a pathology of his, which is this sort of... Um, I think the pathology that 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 was still underneath that move was I can't control the way people react and it really bothers me. And in that sense, we're all on his side. Like, yeah, it sucks. It sucks that you have to have an audience that is white, you know, that that laughs and they're not getting the joke in the way that you mean it. You know, it's like me. I hate when men don't get it and they send me creepy DMs about sex when I talked about my divorce in a special... Sorry about that. My recording stopped. So anyway, as I was saying, I don't like when men DM me about sex just because I talked about it 10 years ago in a special. Anyway, but now with Dave, you do get more insulated when you're rich. No problem with that. Insulate me away. I don't want to. I don't want to be near the problems of the world, right? I, no judgment. But he's insulated. He's hanging out with other rich people, and I think honestly, I can like see the Rogan influence in him. I think there's other influences in his life too that, um, you know, I think he. I don't know what it is. It was just like I can't believe this is your sixth special. And the third in a series of you being like literally obsessed with trans people. And the fact that he says Twitter isn't real life. Mm, okay, but you're not even on Twitter and your specials are about your reactions to things people have said about you on Twitter. That's insane to me. It's literally insane. And, you know, I've had two Netflix specials and I was getting harassed daily on Twitter for being a woman, for being this, for being that during the years that I filmed them. And I didn't mention it once because that's for like this dumb podcast that's free and, and about, you know, your life. But I I didn't want to waste anyone's time or my own or, you know, I just, it didn't even dawn on me that that would be fun to talk about. But if I had the urge, I would have said, no, you know, this is Netflix. Like this isn't some bullshit thing. And I want them to keep working with me. Maybe I should have just talked about trans people in Twitter because I'm not working with them anymore. But the problem is, is he can kind of shit out these like incomplete specials because he's famous, get paid $25 million per special. As we saw from the woman that did the whistleblowing, they don't make a profit. It just kind of breaks even. And it defines the culture because they promote it. They don't promote other things, blah, blah. So that that's what we're talking about here is we're, we're getting into different territory that when people go, what about Pryor? What about Carlin? It, well, they were funny. And they weren't trying to be edgy or offend. I'm not saying Davis. That's actually a separate conversation about different types of comedians that don't get what it is to be. I'll talk about that in a minute. But Chappelle is like, it was like watching an open mic. I mean, I've seen these same jokes at open mics since I started in the 90s. Maybe trans wasn't as prominent of a thing because it, it was, um, you know, we it, there really weren't trans rights that, back then. But it was like, you know, the gay, I'm not gay, but this, I'm not gay. And just... He just kept being like, I'm not transphobic and then making transphobic jokes. And it and it wasn't, you could just tell. I mean, I, I this is where I'm like, I know I'm right because I'm a fucking comedian. I know the soul of comedians. I can see it. It's like, you can just tell that he kind of means it, you know? And everyone's like, I can't believe everyone got fooled at the end about that story about Daphne, the trans woman who opened for him. Everyone's like, you didn't watch it to the end. It's like, he used her as a shield. What It would be like me doing a special that's like, doing a bunch of racist jokes and then being like, my black friend died. Guys, th this, you got sold. You got played. This is some Trump shit. This is some Trump shit. This is some MAGA shit. This is some, I mean, if you read, there's a post going around from Daphne's roommates that are like, he didn't even know she died. 
for a long time. He didn't come to the funeral. He didn't talk. He's not involved in her life. I don't think he's being purposefully evil, but he's being a little disingenuous and it's totally a shield. And she's one trans person. And he's also talking about it from that same way that Louis C.K. issued his apology for sexually harassing people, including myself, in the New York Times, where he's like, these people looked up to me. I was their mentor. No, bitch, no one said that. No one said that. Not those girls, at least. I actually, he kind of was a little bit of a mentor to me, but I looked up to a bunch of people. But his whole telling of that story, oh, and she looked up to me and she's going to school and watching me work. It's like, look, I also... He just keeps mentioning that she bombed when she opened for him. And I know the point was that she was strong about it. But the point is, she died because she got bullied online. Now, I know that that's never just one thing. I get it. But she died by suicide because she was bullied online. And it, was, it wasn't that one time. It I'm sure was the last straw in a life of being a trans person who was bullied. And maybe before that, she, whatever, you know. Always had suicidal ideations, anxiety, whatever. I can't speak to what happened. Everyone goes, oh, but his his family's cool with them. Her family's cool with them. Okay, fine. But it doesn't mean they're right either. She's dead. She can't speak for herself. I'm not going to speak for her, but Dave is. I think it's gross. And also, his fans harassed her. So this is the problem with Dave not understanding that Twitter is real life. And I think it was actually Facebook. His fans harassed her for defending him. People were like, oh, it was trans people that um, harassed her for defending him. No. When when you do stuff like Chappelle, where you say, I'm not transphobic, but then you make transphobic jokes. And then you say, here's one trans person I know. She's cool. Everyone, you should like her. But he's not doing it on TV. It was like a live show somewhere. Not every one of his fans knows that, that he's got his little trans friend now, his little trans shield. And they're going to harass her online. I got harassed no matter what I said about Louis C.K. There was a point where he manipulated me into um, like being like, don't don't keep talking about me in the media. Like, I'm sorry for all that I did. And I was like, oh, my God, it's amazing. Um, I didn't realize that he had apologized to me about like he had apologized for things I don't remember that he did. And I remember thinking, God, maybe I don't remember them. Like, what an amazing guy. Like, I was completely being manipulated by someone who couldn't keep his victims straight. So he was apologizing for shitty t- to someone else. And I actually internalized that and made it seem like I didn't, like like I wouldn't remember. I remember every detail of every moment that he creeped me out in. And so then I talked about that online, thinking maybe his fans will stop harassing me. Then they doubled down. When people are out to be cruel, they're out to be cruel and torture. And when you treat people's lives like they don't matter, I'm sorry, but he's influencing a bunch of people, whether he thinks so or not. People, just like they do with Donald Trump, were searching his name on Twitter for days to harass anyone who was talking about not liking a special. And again, I'm a comedian. He was my favorite comedian. I don't like a special because it's not fucking funny. I don't like the way he laughs at his own jokes, the stupid mic on the knee. He thinks he's like, does this like serious talk. He's not a fucking poet. He's not a fucking the leader of comedy. He's in with a real weird crowd. I felt like I was watching someone who had been brainwashed. I don't even know by whom, but it just was like, this is not what I used to like. So I don't like it. That's I'm not trying to cancel him. I don't like it. I'm telling you, I don't like it. Just like I told you, I love block party. It's really that simple. When I say I love block party, people aren't like, you're trying to make him the most richest man in the world. No one cries out that I'm trying to do something when I say I like something, but when I say I don't like something, I don't want it to be canceled. Keep it up there for all to see. But when he's not being responsible. Now, I can't monitor every single person that misunderstands what I'm saying on stage. I get it. But there's an overall responsibility where like, if it's getting back to you that your fans are harassing people in your name and he knows, he doesn't care. That's why I kept trying to explain that to people with Bernie Sanders. He didn't care that men were his men were harassing women online. They didn't care because they were getting their moment. So I just thought it was. I mean, and he said, "I'm transphobic." You now maybe he's being sarcastic, whatever. But he's an intelligent guy, 
And he's, he's choosing to double down on a premise that isn't true. If he just knew the word intersectional or understood it, there wouldn't be a problem. Not all LGBTQ trans people are white. He's making it into a white versus black thing. And I get what he's saying. Oh my God, it seems like the gay community, um, you know, that movement's going better than black. And, and, and the jokes on that are funny. Like I thought the jokes about like, if we just oiled up and wore short shorts, like that's funny. I don't know if it's true, but it's like, it's that, it's that thing I'm talking about where you see a comedian and you go, I don't agree with this, but it's a funny concept. But I know what he means because there was a time when Hillary and Barack were running against each other and it was on SNL. It was like Tracy Morgan and Tina Fey were like fighting about, you know, which group is more marginalized, black men or white women, you know? And, but it, we were saying women, that we, I was not at SNL, but it was this sort of like, a woman should be president before a man. And and it was, there was this, I know that different marginalized groups look at other marginalized groups and go, God, they're so lucky. But, you know, what we're forgetting in that argument, Hillary versus Barack, is black women are the most put upon, terrorized people on earth, right? And so it's like, I always felt like in his specials, I'm like, does Dave Chappelle know that black women exist? Because the way he would talk about women, I'm like, okay, I got you there with white women. But usually there'd be some kind of, uh, if you're if you're talking about the problem with white women and white feminism, then you would talk about the opposite. And he never did. And it was like, he wants to hate all women and is is conveniently forgetting that there's a group of people that perhaps suffer as much, if not more than him, which is black women. And, and in tra- he said he wanted to be, I miss the Stonewall gaze. Well, those are black trans women that that whole thing started because of black trans women. So you, so you, that, that they were accosted by the police. I mean, it like <sighs> the fact that he thinks gays now are too sensitive and he misses old school gays, like, oh, so you miss gays that didn't have a voice. You miss when people would raid clubs to see. That's like me going, I miss, I miss 1930s black people. No, you know, I miss 1800s black people. The ones now are too sensitive. I mean, if you just say anything else, it sounds absurd. He just sounds stupid. It's like, I don't even have time to be offended because he's just talking stupid. And that's my opinion. But it's also the truth. He's talking stupid. He's he's conveniently leaving things out to make a point and stupid people will fall for it. And they think they're watching edgy comedy that's like blowing minds. He actually said, can a gay person be racist? Like he was he was saying it like he was talking to a classroom full of people. Like, I'm about to blow your mind. Yeah, of course. Also, a gay person can be black, you stupid fuck. Like, th- I don't know what his issue is. I think it's very strange to do an hour of material about trans people. I think it's very strange. And first of all, to do it like all wrong, not supportive. He's obsessed, like singularly obsessed. And and a lot of people say, oh, because I'd like to see his porn searches. Like he's probably attracted to trans people. Or maybe, you know, he thought someone was hot once and they turned out to be trans, perhaps. But I think it goes deeper. I think it goes into a childish black and white frustration it's a childish black and white view of his very real frustration of how are we not further along with racism? And I so get it. I feel that way about sexism. I feel that way about racism too. I feel that way about everything. I just never would sit around going, wow, the trans and LGBTQ, they have have it easy. Like maybe you're hearing the voices now because it's a little safer to start talking about this stuff, but that's all we're doing is talking about it. I mean, Trump banned transgender people from the military. I mean, like Joe Biden is now just trying to undo some of that shit. And and yes, gay people have the right to be married. uh, Which did happen. You know, not that long ago. So I I don't know. I I just I, I think if you choose to look at it a certain way, you could make the case for any group is doing better than they should be when there's another group that's still suffering more. And I just think it's it's like that feeling needs to be worked out because he's not really helping racism by doing this kind of shit anyway. 
I just think it's a bad time to have people riling people up in the name of confusion and hatred. And it's, and you can go, they're just jokes. But then that's where I, as a comedian, go, actually, they're, they weren't even jokes. <laughs> just, they were so, guys, when you've been around as long as I have and you've seen every open micer trying to do something edgy, I've seen people say what he said at open mics. He should not be getting paid $25 million for that Netflix special. You know how many, and I'm not even talking about me, that's so many funny comedians, like groundbreaking comedians that you don't know about because this is like the culture that, you know, and, and just this notion that what you say does not affect people in real life is Ted Sarandos go, goes, doubles down and says, uh, we, you know, cites a video game study. I mean, that's one aspect of the conversation that video games don't tend to make people more violent, but that's different than attitudes about people because I can sit in my home and have an attitude about people and I don't have to do anything to get this. So I can play a violent video game and I can be, you know, influenced into it making me violent in real life, I suppose. But I could just, you know, that both things take effort. I'm playing a game. Now is it going to translate into me buying a gun and, you know, running around like Grand Theft Auto? I don't know. But I can sit there and not know what trans is. And I can see this guy talk about it and I can be like, yeah, he makes good points because he's, 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 he's not using humor to get you to think about things in a different way. He's using emotion to rile you up and make you think everything he's saying is just a joke. And that's two different things. What he's doing is akin to what Trump does at rallies. He's not doing what Carlin and Pryor did. I'm sorry to tell you. And Carlin and Pryor... Let's take prior edgy because he's talking about his own life. Dave's talking about other people's lives that he doesn't know shit about. And he doesn't seem to mind that he's ignorant. Because he's being protected by the millionaire, billionaire president of Netflix and Joe Rogan, the, the billionaire. You know, he's in a different world. And at the end of the special, when he says, will you stop punching down on my people? He means comedians. He thinks comedians are being punched down on. We're just telling you, you're old. You don't matter. Shut up. You're making it worse for people. I would be embarrassed to think that his special was smart. I would seriously check into like any podcast or book you can read about cult deprogramming and see if you catch any signs of yourself in there. I don't know. I have anything more to say about it. It's like, this whole discussion is stupid. And, you know, I, I was trying to promote my anxiety podcast. My publicist is on the case. We are reaching out to people, the, all the usual places that let me, uh, you know, do interviews with them. And they all were like, yeah, we don't want to talk about this anxiety podcast, but does Jen want to talk about Chappelle and the patriarchy? And you know, I'm like, no, what, where, why don't you ask the male comics that? I have a very interesting podcast about anxiety that's coming out. And I have to talk about Dave Chappelle? Like, no. See, this is the problem. So I said no. So I'm turning down opportunities to be interviewed for a thing I care about because all anyone wants to do is talk about Dave Chappelle. And he thinks he's the underdog. And you go, well, just do the interview. Then you don't understand. Because then the headline becomes, Jen Kirkman says Dave Chappelle's transphobic. Then I get harassed. And then people go, oh, you have a new project? Oh, you're just using Dave Chappelle for clout. And it's like, no, I was trying to not talk about him because I don't give a fuck. I want to help people with anxiety. And then it just gets dumbed down into people saying cancel culture. Nobody's canceling him. A bunch of super cool people are going, oh, that wasn't funny. Imagine being a comedian. The night, you know, let's just go into the cliches of, of a comedian, right? The nightclubs, the smoke in the air, how comedy first started in jazz clubs and strip clubs. And you aren't cool with gays and trans? Honey, oh my God, how embarrassing for you. Who do you want to hang out with? MMA fighters like Joe Rogan? Oh my God. Oh no, we're over here with the freaky artist people. Not that it's freaky to be gay or trans, but you know what I mean? We're here with the artist people. Yeah, yeah, The black guys playing jazz, smoking weed, the trans, the gays, the women. Oh yeah, we're all here. Um, you know, the anarchists, the poets. Oh, we're, we're the, you're with the MMA guys. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, no, um, that's not for me. I'm, I'm over here. Like I wanted to be where the artsy people were. And just in that basic sense, too, like high school Jen is watching him going, why is this jock doing comedy? Like, 
what a fucking dick. Like, imagine thinking it's good to have the same opinion as assholes. <laughs> like, all the assholes. That are, it's just stupid. It's not like he made a mistake. And so, you know, I've probably said a bunch of shit, dumb shit in my career, but I'm always trying to get better as a person. And, uh, you know, I've been on, I've been canceled. I lost a job with a jewelry company because of Bernie supporters that wrote to this company and told them that I had sent Bernie death threats when I didn't. And I, I, I lost like money on gigs because I had to hire armed security because I was getting harassed so much online. It bled into real life. So that's where I'm like, you know, Twitter is real life. I hate to say it, but when all those people that you thought were just someone living in their mother's basement, that's who stormed the Capitol. A lot of them were very wealthy people. And a lot of them were like, I live in my mother's basement. That is the internet. The internet is not made up people. I get that the internet isn't real life in the sense that it seems like everyone's on Twitter. And when you read that people are unhappy with something the president did, you think, oh, everyone feels that way. And then you find out, no, I get like it doesn't always reflect numbers wise real life. But in terms of if someone is harassing you on Twitter, they of course they feel um, emboldened to do it because they're behind maybe a fake name, but they're not, that's who they are. And they may not harass you in real life because they're scared unless someone in real life emboldens them to take it to the streets, which Trump did and which Chappelle is doing. There's just no fucking argument. That's the truth. You don't like it. Piss off. Stop trying to cancel me. Anyway, so as you guys know, I was a huge fan of Ethan Hawke's show on Showtime, The Good Lord Bird, which was about John Brown, which was someone I'd never really heard of. Like, I'd heard the name, and I was like, oh, whatever. And I've just been reading about him, and I've been listening to this podcast called John Brown Today, and it's, uh, you know, new. It's, like, been going on for the last couple of years, and it's this guy in New York City who's, like, a John Brown scholar. And so John Brown basically was kind of the instigator for the Civil War. Um, he was a white abolitionist, but I've just been learning so much about it, uh, you know, and, and you know, I did a drunk history about Lincoln and, and D Frederick Douglass, but it's like, you know, Lincoln was into preserving the Union, but if there hadn't been a John Brown, things could be a lot different because Lincoln seriously, like emotionally, he thought slavery was bad, but he also was fine to keep it going to preserve the union. And so there was, it, it reminds me a lot of what's going on today. In fact, I think we, we whitewash slavery and we go, some people own slaves, they're bad. And the North or whoever, you know, stopped owning slaves at a certain point, they weren't pro-black. They weren't um, pro-integrating into society. They were just anti-slavery. And then they didn't want to think about it again. But then there would be these new states popping up and it would be like, well, wait a minute, we haven't voted like this is what was happening um, in Kansas. It was like, OK, well, we haven't voted yet on if there should be slavery in Kansas. And so slave owners from neighboring states would go to Kansas and intimidate people into not being, you know, um, you know, there's abolitionists, right? Like white people. The white abolitionists like working to abolish slavery, but then there was the next level, which was John Brown, which very few people were, which is, and now let's integrate black people into society. Let's not just like abolish slavery and ah, everyone's on their own. Um, he believed in equality. A lot of people that were anti-slavery still did not believe in equality. And, and Lincoln at one point thought, let's ship the slaves to an island. Like that was his, his thing was like, let's just get everyone out of here. That was one of his things that he noodled over in his brain, you know? Um, and he was very much like, let's keep the peace. Let's keep the peace. And John Brown was like, I don't think this can be done peacefully. And he was right. And that's why I think the problem these days is that the people who stormed the Capitol think they're the John Browns and they're not, they're the slave owners, but they don't understand that. So uh, as much as I would like to call for, you know, Hey, you know what, if it does get to violence, like maybe it has to, I don't want to say that because everybody's violent already. But anyway, so these slave owners were violent and they would go into Kansas, to try to intimidate people. And the way that the good Lord bird makes it look is that John Brown was just murderous and like killing everyone who owned slaves. And it, and it wasn't the truth. He did, um, his sons did murder some people, but it was, it was, uh, 
it's more like in a self-defense thing. Um, and they happened to be, you know, they were like in the insurrectionist type people coming in to intimidate Kansas. And John Brown was trying to help establish Kansas as a slave-free state. So the point is, is that what John Brown was seeing, because he was traveling around the country, was this isn't a quiet issue of, oh, we over here are anti-slavery and we over here just have slaves, but it's our tradition. He was seeing people getting violent, slave owners getting violent about the possibility of other states, not even their own, becoming um, states where you couldn't own slaves because there was still travel between states and you were allowed to bring your property if you wanted to bring your cow or your whatever. But then it would be like, well, now is your property a person and you can't. And so it was like, they were like, it's infringing on our rights if other states don't have slaves. So it was all that shit. It's so similar to the stupid vaccine debate, although I'm not comparing getting a a life-saving vaccine to slavery. What I'm saying is they were just looking at everything from my freedom, you know. And so what I what I liked about the Good Lord Bird is it made John Brown look batshit crazy, which I thought was kind of fun. But I also respected that the problem when white people get too riled up trying to help is that like you get black people killed, you know. And and I'm so I was looking at the show from that perspective. But then as I started to do some more research on him, I realized that the show was just fun, and they I think they played up the the craziness because it was just fun, and the show was. Um, based on a book and and all this stuff. But I I think in real life, it was like, you know, white people did think he was crazy because he was so committed to ending slavery and he wouldn't rest. He thought it was this giant sin. I mean, he's right, you know? And, And I feel like every white person has to have John Brown as their hero, if that makes any sense, because it's not, I'm not telling black people have John Brown as your hero. Um, but for white people, it should be a hero to us because we all should care that deeply about other people that it's like, I will not stop until this ends. And this is my life's work. You know, it, it, I'm just fascinated with learning about him. And I honestly feel like they didn't teach us about him in school because it it gets you riled up, you know, it gets you riled up on the good side, not on the, you know, Rogan Chappelle side of things, but it's, I don't think they wanted to teach young white people to to care so fucking much. You know, the problem with John Brown is like he wasn't a great businessman and he didn't always have the support he needed and he could be a bit impulsive. So some of his stuff didn't quite go the way he wanted. And he did have intellectual. He was really close with Frederick Douglass and they had constant uh, conversations, arguments about how things should go. He was close with Harriet Tubman as well. You know, John Brown freed, I think, thousands of slaves. He did help with the Underground Railroad, but he he had uh, he wanted to raid Harper's Ferry, and the anniversary of that was um, October seventeenth and eighteenth. And so, him and his men, he had this like kind of ragtag army of people. A lot of them were his sons, um, but they captured citizens and seized the federal armory and arsenal. He hoped that the local slave population would join the raid and the, uh, you know, the weapons would then be given to slaves and freedom fighters, but it wasn't to be. Um, the local militia found out and there was just a huge firestorm and Robert E. Lee arrived and killed a lot of the freedom fighters and they captured Brown and they tried him with treason and they hung him or hanged him. But I'm reading this fascinating book called The Zealot and the Emancipator, John Brown, Abraham Lincoln, and the Struggle for American Freedom. And it's like every other chapter is what the other person is doing. Um, Sorry, I'm not reading this book now. I read it when it came out last year. So I can't really remember a lot, but it's like right now I'm reading our books about anxiety as I'm preparing for my guests. Like I have a stack of books that I need to read that I'm going crazy that I can't read something for fun right now. But anyway, um, I highly recommend it. It's like it's from um acclaimed historian best selling author it's it's they're two radically different ways to confront it and if it wasn't for John Brown Abraham Lincoln it was one of those things where 
Abraham Lincoln knew he had to free the slaves as an effect of the Civil War. So if he was going to let the Civil War happen, if, the, if you know, the North and South were going to fight over, quote, states' rights, which we all know it was really about slavery, but there also was a thing when, you know, delivered to Abraham Lincoln's desk. It's like, okay, states' rights, what do we do? Okay, we're going to war or whatever. Where it's like, if you go to war over this, you don't just return the slaves back to their slave owners. Like, you abolish slavery. You know, it was sort of like... This was never in his, I think he wanted it to be done politically and like with each state and it's hard to explain, but, but I understand it if that makes any sense. And it's frustrating to read Lincoln's almost like naive notion that, oh, this can all be solved politically and, you know, we're, we're this great union and it's like, we never were. That's the problem though. Is, is I don't want to secede and do all this stuff now because I know that plays into the hands of our adversaries like Russia. It makes us a, a less strong nation. But we were never a nation. We were a collection of states that, like, we just never were a complete nation. We just weren't. It's always been this way. And, you know... I don't know. I, 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 it's just frustrating. Anyway, so. This is the uh, re- little bit about the book. John Brown was a charismatic and deeply religious man who heard the God of the Old Testament speaking to him, telling him to destroy slavery by any means. When Congress opened Kansas territory to slavery in 1854, Brown raised a band of followers to rage, wage war. His men tore pro-slavery settlers from their homes and hacked them to death with broadswords. Not quite. The podcast that I've been listening to explains that a little better. Three years later, Brown and his men assaulted the federal arsenal at the Harper's Virginia Ferry, hoping to arm slaves with weapons for a race war that would cleanse the nation of slavery. Brown's violence pointed ambitious Illinois lawyer and former office holder Abraham Lincoln toward a different solution to slavery politics. Lincoln spoke cautiously and dreamed big, plotting his path back to Washington and perhaps to the White House. Yet his caution could not protect him from the vortex of violence Brown had set in motion. But this is where the book, because I remember thinking after I read the book, like, I don't know, I still think they're trying to paint this guy as crazy. And then this podcast by a historian makes it like he was peacefully helping end slavery, John Brown, for decades. And it was it was when the slave owners turned violent that, Violence was kind of only one of the answers for John Brown. Um, anyway, it's it's great. And that's, anyway, my whole point is I've been obsessed with that podcast called, I think it's called John Brown Today. Um, but I on, I wanted to bring it up because it was the anniversary of it on October 17th. And I just thought it was interesting because I saw it going around Twitter for the first time and I thought, oh, that's got to be the influence of the TV show, The Good Lord Word, which again is amazing. And I can't believe it didn't get nominated for any Emmys. Everyone talking about Queen's Gambit and Ted Lasso. Once you watch The Good Lord Bird, you will feel like a dumb fuck. I'm very combative today. Sorry, everybody. Okay. Oh, I was going to tell a story about a, a guy and some boxes. I'll tell that next week. But let's talk about sucking CO2 out of the atmosphere. And then next week, I'm going to do more listener emails because I got a bunch. So I think it's happening right now in Iceland. And again, blah, blah, blah. I think I posted about it online and everyone's like, it's problematic. It doesn't really work. And I'm like, oh, okay, but I like the sound of it. So yeah, Copenhagen, September 8th, the world's Oh, sorry, there's articles from Copenhagen, but it's happening in Iceland. The world's largest plant that sucks carbon dioxide directly from the air and deposits it underground is due to start operating on Wednesday. So this, again, it's been going on about a month. The company behind the green technology said the Swiss startup Climeworks AG, which specializes in capturing carbon dioxide directly from the air, has partnered with Icelandic carbon storage firm CarbFix to develop a plant that sucks out 4,000 tons of CO2 a year. That's the equivalent of the annual emissions of about 790 cars. That doesn't seem like a lot, though, does it? Last year, global CO2 emissions totaled 
31.5 billion tons. Oh, so stressful. According to the International Energy Agency, direct air capture is one of the few technologies extracting carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and is viewed by scientists as vital to limit global warming. Blah, blah, blah. The Orca plant, a reference to the Icelandic word for energy, consists of eight large containers similar in looks to those used in the shipping industry, which employ high-tech filters and fans to extract carbon dioxide. The isolated carbon is then mixed with water and pumped deep underground where it slowly turns into rock. Both technologies are powered by renewable energy sourced from a nearby geothermal power plant. Direct air capture is still a fledgling and costly technology, but developers hope to drive down prices by scaling up as more companies and consumers look to reduce their carbon footprint. There are currently 15 direct air capture plants operating worldwide, capturing more than 9,000 tons of CO2 per year, according to the IEA. Well, I don't know. And then I posted it and someone was like, yeah, but that uses as much energy as a this and a that. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. There's always been something in the back of my head that's like, maybe someone will just invent a machine and it'll all be okay. Can't we just do that? Can't we just reverse it by inventing a machine? Remember there was talk of like, oh, it doesn't matter if the snow caps in Antarctica have melted. They're going to put this big reflector on them so the sun doesn't, I don't know. Can't we do so something? Help. <laughs> if you want to hear me talk about uh, William Shatner going to space, I did talk about it on the latest bonus episode of my podcast and how Jeff Bezos' penis rocket ship company is like, no, 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 it's totally, I know there's problems on Earth, but if you let us go to space, it'll help problems on Earth. And they just kind of trail off and never explain how. And you're like, mm-hmm. How about you pay your taxes? That could solve a lot. Oh, God. Was this any fun at all? See, I hate when these dumb dudes in comedy do shit because then I got to fucking talk about it on the podcast because people want to hear about it. And I want my take to be out there. I mean, not really. I don't want it to be everywhere. But like, you know, with you guys, it's fine. But I don't know. It's like, what if they just stopped being the worst loser edgelord comics for like a week? Then I would have had more time for listener emails that were about candles and shoes. All right, well, we'll do that. We'll do that. Uh, we'll do that soon. Until next week, have fun. <laughs>